Hey everyone, welcome to Punkcast. My name is William Maxwell. I'm a student of Web3 and the owner of Punk9527. CryptoPunks are 10,000 uniquely generated characters stored permanently on the Ethereum blockchain. No punk is the same. This is a show dedicated to celebrating the punks behind the punk. My hope for this podcast is that we capture the essence of the punk culture, elevate the brand and the individual behind the punk. One last thing, projects discussed on the show is not financial advice. Crypto and NFTs are a volatile and risky asset class. Please always do your own research. Other than that, let's go. Hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Punkcast. Today we've got a beautiful punk. She's punk 4763 with four addies, messy hair, black lipstick, earring, and those mighty fine purple big shades. In real life though, he's the vice president of business development at Token Proof. Also a day zero proof member. Please welcome Eddie the Kid to the show. Eddie, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Love the pod. Thanks. Mate, I think there's a, a lot to sort of unpack. I think we share a bit of history together, being a day zero proof members and, and also obviously sort of transitioning to the punks as well. But maybe we could start with a question. Why Eddie the Kid? <laughs> That is a funny one and probably, so I'm a, a dad, I have a couple kids. I would say I will put the disclaimer that this is not parenting advice, but we all remember during COVID times were, were crazy. All rules kind of went out the window. I have a son who is nine at the time who got really into Fortnite. And of course, part of that is uh, you need to get on Discord and chat with your friends while you're playing Fortnite. And so I had set him up a... Discord account, um, didn't really know anything about it, had never used Discord. Fast forward about a year, I got into the Board Ape community, realized everything was happening in Discord. So I went to set up my own Discord account, realized that he didn't have an email, so my email was tied to his account. So I, I <laughs> stole it from him and took it over. His name was Eddie the Kid. Uh, but the funny thing is, his name is not even Eddie, so I have no idea what <laughs> was going on in his nine-year-old brain when he set that up, but uh, I stole it from him and then, you know, met people in the space and it it's just how people know me on the internet. And he's just stuck. It's a, it's a cool one. I don't know if you have this in the US. In Australia growing up, they had this uh, chocolate bar, white chocolate bar called uh, the Milky Way. I think it was Milky yeah, Way. Yeah, yeah. And there was a Every, when I was growing up, there was this ad. His name was Billy the Kid. So he would come in with like cowboy boots and it was Billy the Kid. So every time I sort of see you, I've got like this cowboy <laughs> picture of you with a cowboy sort of outfit on you. Uh, well, I do I do live in, in Nebraska, so I am familiar with cowboys, but uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not one myself. Nice. Well, maybe you could share a little bit more about your background and history and all the things that led to you into sort of Web3. So is Nebraska home and, you know, where you were sort of born and raised? Yes and no. Born and raised in in Nebraska. Uh, spent about six years of my professional career away. So I spent two years in Munich, Germany, two years in London, uh, two years out in Silicon Valley. But I guess my background is a bit unique from a lot of the people you have on. I think I am not an engineer. I come from a traditional SaaS sales background um, in this niche HR technology space. And so worked with a few successful startups on the sales side in the HR technology space, uh, was fortunate enough to be able to help open up some offices abroad and spent four years in Europe, like I mentioned, 
came back home to Nebraska, had the itch to sort of keep traveling and learning and exploring and went out to to Silicon Valley. And so, you know, I think I just, I met a lot of interesting people along the way that, you know, likely opened my eyes to this crazy world that we're in. But yeah, certainly just a traditional standard business background. Yeah. How did you get into, I guess, the whole startup scene? Like what, what did you study and what was your sort of steps after university and stuff like that? Yeah, I just had a general uh, business degree, joined a fairly small company. It was actually had just gone public at the time. So it was large enough, but they were expanding into Europe. And so we opened up an office in Munich, Germany with just a handful of people. So it felt, you know, very much startup like that company ended up getting acquired by IBM. And so you know, I was always just kind of averse to working for these large corporate organizations. And so several of of my colleagues and I moved to another startup, which, you know, the cycle kind of repeats itself, got acquired by LinkedIn, um, and then was part of the Microsoft family. Um, But the funny thing through that is, is how I sort of ended up at Token Proof. So I'm sure we'll get into a little bit about what token proof is, but one of our main investors uh, and VC firms is a company called Penny Jar Capital. Steph Curry, the NBA player, is is the main LP in that fund. But Bryant Barr, who you know manages the you know really manages the fund, was in the Board Ape Yacht Club community, and so he was on the board of this like very traditional HR technology company that I was at. But I somehow figured out that he had an ape, I had an ape, Uh, we made that connection. And then ironically, his firm uh, did the seed funding round at Token Proof. And so I was like, you know, kept in touch with him through that and an opportunity arose at Token Proof. So took the jump over to Web3. Board Apes was life-changing for you then. That's a cool story. It was, yeah, yeah, in many ways. Can you explain a little bit more about what HR tech platforms you were working with and what that is like i'm just sort of curious to yeah yeah so i was even in a niche space within hr tech in the employee engagement survey realm so we worked with you know fortune 500 companies all over the world to you know manage their employee satisfaction employee engagement surveys which seems boring and and unexciting but you know when you get into these large corporations it's quite complex multi- multiple stakeholders pretty high visibility from the CEO on down so yeah it was an um, interesting experience for 15 years man i i remember doing those those were um, pretty important like when you're leading teams and you you'd see who has been bitching about you behind your back so um <laughs> it always link it to your performance reviews and bonuses so that's super important right so yeah, yeah. Uh, now that's cool okay so then what was your journey into crypto then? So through all of that, were you working full time and then dabbling with crypto on the side? Like yeah, that? yeah, exactly. So I think I entered the space similar to several people. I mean, I've always been super curious, even though I'm not, you know, and I'm not super technical myself. Um, I've always been very interested in emerging technologies. And so I think I was probably aware of crypto and blockchain technology in, in the very early days. But like a lot of people, I... I think I bought my first Bitcoin and Ethereum and several, you know, shit coins at the time um, in 2016, 2017, just through Coinbase and, you know, would constantly hear it coming up. I mean, a little amount, like I probably put 2,500 US dollars into a Coinbase account and I'd monitor it from time to time, um, but never really did anything besides just checking the price once in a while. 
And I haven't been in a long time, but I used to be an avid uh, Tim Ferriss podcast listener, which I, I know you and I have a proof connection. And so, you know, I, I've kind of lost track with that for, for the last few years now. But through that, I was introduced to Kevin Rose, virtually, obviously, through the pod and started, you know, probably following Kevin more closely than I was following Tim. And I started noticing that, you know, Kevin was putting out a lot of content and tweets around NFTs and the Web3 space. And I knew I had, you know, this crypto wallet through Coinbase that had, you know, risen quite nicely. It was maybe worth 10,000 bucks at the time. But the real unlock for me was, okay, now I can actually do something with this, not just open my Coinbase app, you know, every month or every few weeks and see what the price is doing. Um, and so I just started following, unfortunately, <laughs> not all of Kevin's advice, but, you know, set up my MetaMask, got on Artblocks, uh, minted some things, got super lucky uh, with the Board Ape Yacht Club, which I'm sure you will dive into. And What's the timing on this? Yeah, I just looked this morning. I bought and we're on video so you can see it behind me. But this piece um, is it's called an Enzo by an artist called Matto, who was an early Artblocks artist. Um, that was the first piece I minted on April 28th, 2021. So coming up on exactly, almost exactly two years. So that was your first ever NFT in this space? Yeah. As an art box Minted, yeah. Minted. That's pretty technical. How much did that cost? Is that your back? I mean, I think not much. I don't know, actually. I'd have to go back and look through the transaction history. Um because at that time, ETH would have been pretty high too. Yeah, ETH was pretty high. So, you know, I'm sure it wasn't cheap. I mean, I do remember, you know, now we're sort of jaded and we'll see things pop up for, you know, one ETH and just kind of ape into it. But at the time, it was kind of a big deal to to spend even 0.1 ETH, right? Man, I, I've been a long, long time fan of Tim Ferriss as well. So I've been listening to him for quite some time and he got onto Kevin Rose because of him as well. But I mean, for you, like, what was that point where you felt there was enough reason for you to look deeper and experiment with NFTs yourself? Was there like a point in the conversations or podcasts that Kevin was talking about? Like, you know, coming in, it would have been a little bit abstract at that time, right? Without actually experiencing MetaMask and non-custodial wallets. Like what was going through your mind? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think I just like to tinker with new technologies. So I think that was the main driver behind it. I just wanted to see what this MetaMask and actually using this magic internet ETH that's in my Coinbase account and actually do something with it. But I think the real unlock for me was obviously that, you know, April of 2021 was the time when Bored Apes hit the scene. And somehow I, you know, got very fortunate to stumble into that community. So I, I didn't mint a Bored Ape, but I bought one probably two, three weeks after Mint for 0.5 ETH. And like I said, how I got this Eddie the Kid name was getting into the Discord. And I think that was the big unlock for me, just seeing how much energy and excitement uh, these things could bring, how they could bring communities together, and then you know everything they've done since. But I think the unlock for me was more on the, the community and excitement side of things rather than the, the technology. That's cool. So, so you only bought one board ape at that time for half an ETH? Only one. Yeah. And I remember I was looking through some emails the other day, like I was putting offers in at point three, thinking I was insane. Like, how am I going to spend $1,500 on this cartoon monkey? So I, I fumbled the bag in hindsight on a lot of really good stuff. But uh, 
yeah, got got my ape for for point five. I think we got in similar time. I think I got in my first board ape around point two. But how did you get into board apes? How did you hear about them, and what made you sort of want to buy? I can't even pinpoint. You know, I had bought this art blocks piece in late April, and then I think that just took me down the rabbit hole of following accounts on Twitter. And of course, at that time, and even still today, if you're on crypto Twitter at all, you can't avoid the things that Yuga is doing. And so that was just the hot project at the time. And I had some ETH handy and got in. Yeah, I, I remember there was a, because I, I got in through Nifty Gateway, but you know, after you follow a lot of different people, you just get, start getting signal from your Twitter feed. like, And there was one point, Bored Apes are just blowing up. And so that's that's sort of why I sort of jumped in as well. But and just going back to your point around getting art blocks as well, when you bought, you weren't in any Discord at all. You just went were listening to Kevin Rose and you just logged into the website and just did your own thing. Correct. No, no Discords, just figured just figured it out. That's cool. And then I remember early in the Board Ape Discord, um, I'm sure you know PP Man, which is always always funny to say, but it's fun looking through old messages with him because I remember you know, apes went from 0.5 to say five ETH pretty quick. And all of a sudden we're talking about real money and people are talking about cold wallets. And I think one of my, I think my very first message on discord was, can someone tell me what a ledger is? <laughs> so, so then, you know, went went down that whole rabbit hole of uh, ma- making things even more complicated, right? Crazy. Okay. So you got into board apes and then what was your transition into proof? And then I'd like to sort of go through that sequential order. Cause I know you, flipped out of an ape into a punk a little bit later on. But I think before that, you got into proof as well, right? So what was, what was um, that journey like? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think I owe getting into the space to Kevin Rose. And so once I knew he was launching a project, I knew I had to get in. That was a stressful week because I it was a Dutch auction that started at five. And I was convinced that it was going to be an instant sellout at five. And I think I had like one and a half liquid ETH at the time. And it, it's still not easy to get, you know, fiat currency into, into cryptos in a timely manner. Right. And so I, I actually had minted a MeBit, um, which I was happy about and, and bullish on that project. But that was like my one holding that I knew would be enough that if I sold it, I could get up to five ETH to, uh, to get into proof. It wasn't selling. I think I had three ETH in my wallet. And I was just gutted. I thought there's no way I'm going to get into this. It's going to be an instant sellout at five. I just can't get the money in in time. And then it didn't sell out at five. It just, the Dutch auction kept dropping and dropping and dropping. It finally got down to one. Um, So I got greedy. Like I had three ETH. I was planning on spending five, but of course I got greedy. And then I actually lost out on a gas war at one and then bought it you know, 10 minutes after it closed for, for 1.5 or something. And then have been in ever since on secondary. Yeah. Nice. On secondary. Yeah. And then the discord didn't open, I think for a month after mint. Right. So. Yeah. I remember that that was crazy times because I was in Hong Kong, Asia hours. So I was just watching it sort of, you know, tick over. But I think at that point, Kevin was, he was tweeting stuff and sort of saying, this is kind of crazy. It's 40,000 people looking at the website. And I'm like going, yeah, 40,000 people. This is going to be an absolute gas war. We're, we're greedy in this space, right? And so once it wasn't an instant sellout, I think everyone had the idea that I had that we'll just wait until the bottom. But then then once it hit one, the floodgates opened and 
they were gone. Yeah. It's funny that you had the perspective that that was going to fly off the shelf at sort of five because I was hanging out in a few other discords and punks being one of them and everybody was fighting proof and sort of saying, why are you going to pay five ETH to get into a discord with Kevin Rose? Right? <laughs> but I think what had sort of given me a little bit of trust about Kevin was he was talking about Fidenzas and Ringers way, way early before they had that huge run. And I thought after that was, I need to pay attention to this guy. Like he's, he's getting early alpha uh, on some of these things. So yeah. He had his modern finance podcast pre-proof and I was on that and on the newsletter and I still kick myself almost every single day that uh, you see two art blocks pieces behind me, my squiggle and my Enzo. Um, but those are literally the only two that I've ever bought. And I was looking through some old notes and emails the other day, like I was on the announcements for Fidenzas and Ringers. And I just, I didn't understand the art scene at the time. I'm still, still learning to this day, but the PFPs, you know, kind of spoke to me a bit more, but really fumbled the bag on some of that early alpha. Man, what, what a crazy time that was. Well, how do you feel about proof and Moonbirds now? So I'll answer it from a couple of perspectives like one thing that i don't know if this is by luck or you know what i would equate it to and i don't even know where i heard this advice if it was in the web3 space or just in general but somebody i heard say at one point keep the chickens sell the eggs and that has been like my investment thesis in the web3 space since the beginning so with apes you know i got dropped the dog i got dropped an m2 mutant which was crazy the other deed, um, the ape coin. And then similar with proof, it was, you know, all of the grail, the moon birds, um, on and on. And what I've done with both of those projects is kept the main asset, the chicken and sold all of the, the eggs that, that came along with it. And so, you know, when it relates to proof, you know, I sold my moon birds at the top, you know, I've more than recouped my investment on that. But I'm also work full-time in the space. We do a ton of work for Proof. They're a huge partner of ours at Token Proof. And so like, I have a unique vantage point into you know, no alpha, but just seeing how dedicated that team is, how hard they work. And so the FUD you know, really kills me because I just know that you know, they've got over a dozen people that are working 18 hours a day, seven days a week to do the right thing for the community. And I still think it's amazing still bullish on it i'm likely gonna gonna stay till the end nice admittedly i think i've, I've just stopped hanging out there because i think it just started getting a little bit um super toxic in i guess some of the proof channels and moonbird channels but hopefully they can find their way back i still think that yeah similar with you i think they've got a, a quality team and a huge runway to survive this this sort of situation that we're sort of in at the moment and i sort of find a lot of these projects they always go in cycles right but hopefully they find their feet soon Mate, and talk to us a little bit about your transition from board apes to CryptoPunks. I mean, I've always recognized you as more of a board ape, I mean, from the early proof days and our sort of engagements. But talk to us through, I guess, that decision and how that all came about. I don't think you can be in the space without being an admirer of CryptoPunks, right? And so I've been aware of them since likely the day I entered the space. Um, it was always a goal of mine to have one. I think I just was never, you know, an ideal world, I would have both, but I was just not in a position to do that responsibly. 
so I, I've always been in, into the punks. I think what really pushed me over the edge was in November of last year, I was at Art Basel in Miami working with you know tons of events that, that Token Proof did. Went to the punk event at the Institute of Contemporary Art in Miami where they had donated Punk 305, which I think they call the Maryland Punk. And they had it on display next to a Warhol and it was just like an eye-opening moment for me that, you know, this is art that is going to be in premier galleries all over the world. You know, I need to do this. And then the other thing is, like, I'm almost 40. I have a family. I have kids. You know, I also have gone to several Bored Ape events. And it's, you know, it's great, but it's not my scene as much <laughs> as, you know, what what the punks are, right? Like, if I was 25 and single, I think I might gravitate more towards the the ape community. but just the point of my life I'm in, the, the punks feel feel more like where I'm at. Mate, you, and you've got a really nice, noticeable punk as well. Do you want to talk through, I guess, your selection process? How long were you sort of looking at punks and how were you thinking about traits and how you arrived at 4763? Yeah, I was shopping them hard for about a month. Um, and I think two things were important to me. One, I wanted one that I felt, you know, sort of looked like me as close as it possibly could. And I know it's funny because mine's technically a female punk, but I think if, you know, if you go outside of the one-tenth of one percent of the world that even knows what a crypto punk is, I, I think most people on the street wouldn't necessarily know that it's a female punk. So I'm <laughs> I'm fine with that. I wear sunglasses whenever I can. You can see me on video now. I don't have crazy hair, but you know, I I don't have a mohawk. I, I don't have facial hair. I had an earring for a short time in uh high school in 2002 when those were were a cool thing to do <laughs> so you know one it it looked like me as as best as i could find but i think what's more interesting is um the provenance was actually pretty important to me and so if you look at the history of my punk um it was actually claimed by tony herrera who's you know just a legend in in the space going back to basel where this all sort of comes full circle uh, we were token proof was helping degen arcade uh with an event i got to meet and spend some time with tony so i was asking him you know just tons of questions and you know long story short i ended up brokering a deal to buy a punk that that he claimed which you know i think it's super cool when you go into the the history um you know and see don't see 500 lines of, of swaps and trades that have been happening it's kind of interesting you say that I mean, Tony's been on the show as well, and he's been such a great ambassador for punks in general. But I think there is another layer of a genuine sort of interest and premium in the provenance of where it sort of came from, because there's a story behind that, right? That you know exactly where it sort of came from and his connection to you, you met him as well. And so um, I wonder, like, if years from now as well, like, people would start seeing that being a bit of a premium driver to punks. Like, if Jay-Z was to sell his punk now, do you think that would carry a premium? I think it would, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm not a traditional art world expert, but I think that works the same way in the traditional art world, right? When any of these famous collectors auction off their pieces at Christie's or Sotheby's, they tend to go for a bit of a premium. So there was another punk that I loved and I almost pulled the trigger on it several times, but it had been wrapped at some point and flagged as stolen and it had changed hands like five or six times. And so I wasn't you know, I was pretty far removed from the person who got scammed out of it, but it's still just like that piece didn't feel right to me. And I thought it 
there'd always be a little asterisk next to it. And so, yeah, yeah, I think the provenance is certainly important. What kind of traits did it have? Do you remember? It was like wild hair and pretty plain. It was just like a two attribute wild haired punk. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, just a super clean one. And if, and if money wasn't an issue for you, like, what would be your dream punk, do you think? I think the Art Basel and the Contemporary Museum jaded me also a bit. Like, VR, I think, is my favorite trait. You know, obviously, the the aliens and the the apes have the, the monetary value. But I think if, you know, money aside and, and I just had to pick one today, it would be pretty much clean punk with uh, with the VR trait. Yeah, the VRs are cool. I mean, I was just checking out VR Punk's collection. He's got, I don't know, about eight of eight VR Punks and they look really cool, but he's got like this wild white hair punk with a VR and it's just absolutely amazing. So, uh, and, and I guess for you then, this might be a bit of a self-explanatory question. Like, how do you sort of see Punks? Are they more art or a collectible to you? Well, I think they're both, which is what makes them unique, right? I think that there's certainly a PFP and there's a community around them, but then you also see them in several museums around the world. And so I think they'll probably, I think they'll always be a perfect mix of both, which is part of what makes them them unique and special in the space. Absolutely. And let's talk a little bit more about your transition into token proof. What is token proof for everybody that's sort of familiar? I think most people are familiar, but maybe just start off with that. Yeah. So how we think of token proof is connecting web three to the world. And so we really see ourselves as the experiential layer that, you know, allows brands, collections, collectors to unlock utility with their tokens, both online and, and IRL. So I think a lot of people know us on the IRL side of things. So if you've gone to any sort of event where you need to prove ownership of a token, uh, you've likely used token proof, right? Um, and then we do a lot of super cool stuff uh, where we flip that and have online use cases, whether it's through integrations with Shopify or token gating of, of web content. There's still sort of two problems in the space. One, there's a lot of scams and security concerns, right? Like if you're, you should be afraid anytime you're connecting your wallet to anything. And if you're not, you're probably going to get wrecked at some point that, that like we see every single day. And two, the space is still not mobile friendly yet. And I think we do a great job of solving both of those things, right? You download the token proof app, you sign a human readable gasless message saying you're in control of the app. It's on your phone, so it's mobile. And then it unlocks any utility projects can can dream up. Yeah, no, it's super clean. I've used it a few times now going to a couple of the proof events um, and super handy too, because you obviously don't need to carry your keys around. And and what's your specific role with Token Proof? Yeah, so I'm on the commercial and business development side of things. So work with both Web3 native brands that are spinning up, you know, events at NFT NYC. We've, we're busy with over 30 events last week, but then also brands entering the space. And so we're doing a lot of work with Adidas at the moment, for example, who, you know, just seems to be hitting on all cylinders at the moment. I don't know how, how closely you track their their alts project, but they announced yesterday that um, they are going to have token gated items for their members week next week, which is going to be only available in their confirmed app, which is their, their, what they call their hype app for their hype drops. Um, And those items are going to be token gated for alts holders. Um, And of course they're going to 
safely prove that they're an alt holder by by using token proof. So, you know, we're starting to see more and more brands do some some really innovative things in the space. That's cool. So basically, if I understand, because I haven't used it for other in apps on the phone, so for mobile purposes. So basically, you sync your private keys to token proof, and from token proof, the app on the phone, you can sync that to other other apps within the phone. Yeah, so we're not taking your keys at all. It's just a message that you're signing to prove that you're in control of that wallet. But then, yeah, it works like the same way that you've used online where you're moving QR code. If there's any sort of online content or content within an app, you can click connect with token proof. You scan that with your token proof app. It's querying the blockchain in real time to say, do you own a punk? Do you own an alt? Do you own, you know, whatever asset you need to own? And it lets you into what's whatever is behind the, the scenes. And so with the instance of the Adidas app on mobile, it'll connect with token proof and it'll sort of validate whether or not you own an Adidas NFT. Yeah. And I'm sharing, I'm sh- I don't know when this is going to be published. This was just announced on their Discord yesterday, but all the, the PR and press isn't, isn't quite out about it yet. But yeah, I mean, their confirmed app has 10 million members that you know get into the one access to their hype drops the collaborations they do with gucci etc and so yeah now in the confirmed app you'll be able to um, add a wallet and that is through token proof right so you hit add wallet the token proof app pops up you hit connect token proof it knows that you're an alts holder and gives you access to the the hype drops that that are available in the app Man, that's so exciting to hear such a huge brand coming in in a meaningful way, right? And using, it sounds like it's, they're using it in a legitimate way, right? To actually deliver real products to communities now. Yeah, I mean, so many brands have really fumbled as they enter the space. I mean, I don't want to call anyone out, but I think we all know the, the major brands that have, you know, done this as a cash grab or just, you know, didn't do it the right way. And what I think Adidas did super well, I mean, they're, they're OGs in the space, right? They dropped their into the metaverse token probably close to two years ago now, but they partnered with G Money and Punk's Comic, you know, and and really embraced the community and then are partnering with companies like Token Proof, who have a lot of credibility in the space, right? So they're doing it from a very web three native perspective. That's awesome. And and just out of curiosity, how does token proof monetize then? Do you how do you what's that monetization model look like? Yeah, so the events side is still a big um, part of what we do. Um, you know, you'll see events from like, you know, 50 person DAO meetups to ApeFest, which had 3,000 people, you know, over multiple days. And so from a monetization point, you know, we try the best we can to support like the small communities that are out there. But for the, the brands and communities that are doing major activations, we we do have a commercial model for those events, um, and then of course the integrations that that we're talking about, and some of those other things have professional services that come along with it. And you know we've got a team of seventeen people, a, a ton of super talented developers and engineers, and you know we're we're working with our our clients to build a lot of cool stuff. It's exciting. Well, man, we should definitely hook you up with Punk DAO as well because I know some of the events is just basically everybody just turns up and just walks in we don't know who's who yeah well we're, we are yeah we're, we're doing some work with them i think we we did the punked out event at, in, in nyc and then um they're in the process of implementing what we call token proof online authentication which is 
what we talked about briefly, but you know, essentially anywhere where you see a connect wallet button, we can live alongside of MetaMask, Wallet Connect, um, et cetera. It can just say connect with token proof, QR code pops up, you scan it with your app and and you're in without having to triple check uh, links and make sure you're on the right one. And awesome. All the, the scary things that go along with connecting a wallet. I'll have to go back and pay a bit more attention to all the stuff that's happening with Adidas. Any any other alpha you can you can share with us? Oh, that's the <laughs> I'll go, I'll go that's the big one that's I'll keeping go. us busy. Uh, and I, I, just out of memory as well, I think you were my go-to guy um, when it came to understanding 10KTF. Oh, yeah, uh, back at Proof Days. Um, are you still bullish on that project? I'm sort of known in the Proof community as the the 10KTF maxi. I am. So I, you know, the funny thing about working in the space is you know, you sort of lose your ability and time to, to be a degen. So when I look at my collection now, it's primarily my punk, my chromy swiggle, my proof pass, Damien Hurst currency, which, which I love and, and am bullish on. But my one, and I don't even know if it's fair to call it a degen play, but 10KTF is kind of the one active community that I love and have just been part of since the beginning. You know, it's part of the Yuga family now, which I think is huge. Yuga is going to continue to do some amazing things with it. I think the 10KTF gets some pushback that it's a complicated project, um, which I think every project, most of these projects in the space are complicated, but it's on a time schedule, right? So things only happen in 10KTF on Thursdays. So I feel like if you just pop into the Discord for a few minutes, listen to some of the community spaces, turn your Twitter alerts on on Thursdays, you you get all the information you need. and it's just a fun community to be a part of. So if you were to play the 10 KTF game right now, what would you, I mean, obviously not financial advice, but how would you play it? A G tag, a couple uh, blanks. Like how would you, how would you sort of structure up your, your bags for a 10 KTF play? Yeah. So I think that the Gucci cloth is probably a bit slept on. Um, they did a partnership with Gucci where they released this Gucci cloth um, probably a year ago or more. And it just was like very silent, but now Gucci seems to be plugging back into the space. And so I think there's that. Um, the G tags, it's, I think it's alpha and plain sight that those are turning into some sort of pfp which will be a uh, you know technically a yuga pfp which we which we all know um are quite successful um so i think those are you know great things to have from like a speculative standpoint but if you know anything about 10ktf what happens is they have these shoes backpacks hats um you know items that you buy as blanks and then you can craft your pfp on them and there's probably 15 pfp communities at this point um those are not very expensive. Um, so I would just say get a set of the items, load your PFP on it, tune in a couple of Thursdays and and start participating. It's a pretty interesting model, right? I mean, what do you make of, I guess, the overall Yuga strategy by incorporating 10KTF? Because I sort of feel like Yuga have got board apes, mutants, they've got in some ways punks and me bits. They've got the the community, core community sort of aspects lined up. Then you've got 10KTF. It just feels like that's their way of onboarding everybody else because they can just drop blanks and... Yeah, I think it's two things. One, attention is tough in this space. Like everybody wants, you know, information daily. People will hop to different projects uh, on a dime. And I think 10KTF brings a, a storytelling element to it. I mean, they've been building out this storyline for two years now, right? 
Um, so I think it it helps keep attention to the ecosystem. But I also think uh, a big part of the play was with the other side where, you know, Gordon and Beeple have been on multiple podcasts talking about, you know, this Wagami Sam character from 10KTF. They want him to be the entry point into the other side, right? So I think uh, that will also play a big role, in, at least in terms of the initial onboarding and, and access into to Yuga's other side. Makes sense such a such a huge uh, huge sort of play you guys are going on cool and are you um eyeing off any collections in this bear market at the moment or are you just sort of sitting on your sitting on your hands i'm just too busy to keep up i mean i am excited about the pivot proof has made to art um i think this will be a good excuse for me to finally start to understand that the one piece that i just wish i had in my vault was an x copy i've done a little bit of research and follow some some reports and and dune dashboards on on xcopy but you know anyone who's an og in the space is familiar with xcopy and i that seems to be one that would be amazing to have in a collection and if you look look back across your nft collection uh your nft career to date do you have any wins or losses that are worth mentioning well, I think we talked about them both already, but I think my loss would have been that I was uh, alerted to the Fidenza drop by, you know, multiple angles and just didn't even, I don't even remember like <laughs> looking into it. So that, that was a big loss. And then the wins were, the wins were selling the top of several Yuga assets, which was just dumb luck uh, in hindsight, but you know, it just, things were rising so fast and it got to the point where this is like a, a irresponsible sum of money to have in monkey JPEGs and monkey JPEG re- related assets. And, you know, I decided to keep the ape and, and sell all the ancillary benefits that I got from it and, it and, and turn it into USD and pay the tax man, which, you know, this is tax week in the US. And so I, I just, I, I really lucked out. Very responsible. And when you look across, I guess, the punk community, do you have like a favorite that comes to mind? Well, I'll start with Tony Herrera, who is just a legend, claimed tons of punks and just continues to be a steward in the community. Two other maybe ones, you know, you always hear like DC Investor and Punk 6529, of course, but uh, Sam at Proof, NFT Stats, um, I, I just love what he is doing. Like, for people that are busy, you know, he really, his daily updates and just presenting key things in a digestible yeah, manner that, awesome. you know, doesn't take hours a day is is huge for a lot of people. And then G-Money, I think, you know, we also do, I I get under the hood with the 9DCC team and, and know what they're doing. And going back to Adidas, they're a big part of, of that partnership. Um, but his team is just grinding and building and doing innovative things nonstop. So those be two maybe ones that you don't hear of every day on here. But yeah, of course. You're right. NFT stats does definitely um cover a lot of ground in a 15 minute slot in his updates every day, right? So um yeah, really appreciate the what he sort of uh, puts in. And if you were to describe punk culture in a few words, how would you describe that for you? I would say diversity is the first word that comes to mind i mean i don't think there's many 
you know, the punk community is everywhere from, you know, the, the geekiest of software engineers that could figure out how to claim these things in, in 2017 to, you know, Jay-Z and A-list celebrities and everyone in between. So I think it's, that would be the word I would use. It's just a crazy spectrum of, of people that you get to interact with being in this community. We are a uh, bunch of misfits in the community, aren't we? But I uh, wouldn't have it any other way. And how do you how do you feel about V1 punks? So I wouldn't say I'm educated enough to have a strong opinion. You had someone on the other day, and I forget who, but they... Hemba? Yeah, yeah. And I think he he's kind of a V1 punk maxi, or it, it seemed to be at least. But I thought an analogy he gave around you know, let's say Nike releases a shoe and it has a defect and they pull them off the shelves, but some people are going to have them and they're out in the wild. Like it's not recognized by Nike, but it's still a Nike shoe that, you know, got out in the wild. And so I think that is interesting. Um, and I'm also of the mindset that just the more, the number of people that even know what a crypto punk is, is so tiny in the world that anything that brings attention to more people in into the space and the collection. So if it's, you know, any sort of derivative project that puts eyeballs on it, I, I don't think hurts. I think the real collectors and in history will know what the real punks are, but I don't have mine. I, I actually asked Tony once if he had it or knew even how to get it. Um, and then I never really followed up on that, but certainly interesting. It's an interesting storyline in the, the history. Absolutely. You should definitely, um, hit tony up because i'm sure he'll probably still have your v1 or unless he's wrapped it and sold it already um but you should try and get your v1 pair as similar to you i think it's uh just makes the collection a lot more interesting we're just going to be it's something that you can continue talking about for ages right um but uh add another layer of dimension to the the punk story um what about btc punks so i was in the punks telegram when like the day that that was all happening and, you know, we have a little token proof alpha group in our internal Slack. And I was like, has anyone looked into this? And knowing we have a ton of super smart engineers that, you know, can spin up the nodes and do the things that were needed to be done to, to get in super early on that. I didn't have like the time or the computing power to get in on, on the, the early uh, minting or claiming or whatever you call of those. But similar answer to v1 punks right it's just another level of the story uh more eyeballs on the project and then coming from i guess the yuga world board apes to crypto punks not sure if you were a punk holder no you probably wouldn't have been but how do you feel about the the overall acquisition of um of punks from from yuga i think i i'm more bullish on it than most of your guests i mean i think part of it is you know, like I said in my intro, I've worked for several startups that got acquired by bigger companies. And I think that's just the nature of how most things work in in the world, right? Um, you know, Matt and John, I think, built an amazing technology, but I don't know that they ever expected it to turn into this phenomena that it, it has. Um, and so to me, having a team like Yuga, who has largely left it alone, but you know, you at least know that there's a giant engine behind the scenes that really cares about the space and is, you know, ushering us forward. I think it's it's great. I think it worked out for everyone. Yeah, I think I think Yuga's done a pretty good job um, so far. I mean, uh, just leaving us to our own devices, which I think most people sort of enjoy. 
maybe just going back a little bit too, I'm not sure if you answered it, but you know, what was the transition between Bored Apes to, to punks? Was it that moment that you had in Miami where you just saw it as a piece of art? Like what sort of triggered your mind to sort of say I'm more of a punk than, than an ape? Well, I think the biggest driver was I had started working in the space and just lost all my time to, you know, really keep up on the degen aspects of the space like I used to. And so, you know, they were ApeCoin drops and other D drops. And, uh, you know, it just like the Yuga ecosystem is something that you really have to pay attention to. And I just got to a point where I wanted something that I could vault away and not have to worry about, you know, this tweet's going to come out. Is it going to go up or down 50% in the course of an hour? And I've got to be on it and take my ledger on vacation and, <laughs> you know, all of these things. So that, that was sort of the first step was knowing that, you know, I, I wanted something that could just be more of a vault item and not something that I had to be active with so much. Um, and then a few weeks later was, I was lucky enough to be at that contemporary art museum uh opening and saw the unveiling of it and man you're, you're so right i think having a very clear peace of mind is really valuable in this sort of space right i think you just get you know thrown um so many different mechanics and things all the time and if you're not paying attention you're basically leaving money on the table and so i think in a good way you know punks don't have any of that so you just sort of chill out a little <laughs> bit which is good and Mate, uh, if you could pass on a message to the next owner of um, Punk4763, what would you like to say to them? Oh, well, taking it full circle, I guess, hopefully the next owner is my son, and maybe I'll tell him to name his kid Eddie and pass it along <laughs> to him so it can can finally carry the, the Eddie name. <laughs> the Eddie name. But no, I mean, like I said, I think looking at just a few lines in the provenance history of it is cool so my my advice would just be to to hold beautifully said eddie this was um super fun man and thank you so much for uh spending the time i know it's early in the morning for you there uh, to join punkcast but um any sort of final closing comments and you know how can people find you uh, yeah, I am Punk4763 on Twitter. Uh, the display name is Eddie the Kid, but pretty active in the uh, the Proof and 10KTF discords, of course. And find me on the Token Proof website as well. Guys, that wraps up another episode of Punkcast for the week, and we'll be back next week with another punk. Bye for now. <laughs>